Okay, listen, if you've got kids that want to go to children's church this morning, let them come follow Larkin, and Larkin's going to show them the way, get them situated and settled in. Larkin's the man. Y'all come on, send them on. Hold up, Larkin, hold up. Wait, got to wait on them, got to wait on them. <laughs> uh, all right, Larkin, go ahead, babe. You got it. You got it. Well, good morning, everybody. Y'all glad to be here? Say amen. Come on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. There is a couple things that I want you to be aware of. You guys on your way out this morning, get you a ticket. This is admission for one to Family and Friends Day at Harvest Church. Going to begin at 10 a.m. We're going to do it on the vacant lot over there. You bring your pop-up tent, your lawn chairs. We'll have uh, grills going after worship at 10 o'clock, games for the family. So this is going to be a weekend event for us on Saturday. We'll do outreach in our neighborhoods. We'll go pray with folks that we meet, our neighbors. We will invite them to be part of our anniversary celebration. September marks two years for Harvest Church as a thriving faith community. So anyway, we're going to celebrate on that day. Get you a ticket. Uh, get two. Get one to put on your refrigerator. That way you'll be reminded of the date and time. And get another one to give to your friend or family member, however you want to do that. All right, so we got that going on. The other thing that I want you to know about is at 5 o'clock today, uh, you are invited to a fish fry and to a, a time of celebration at Temple Baptist Church in Biloxi. So we have, as a church family, you guys have invested financially in the renovation, remodel of the pastor's home, uh, Daniel and Sherry Allen, that's where they're going to be living. In fact, they've already moved in and super, super excited. You guys have helped make it possible for them to have a nice home as they launch out into their first ministry. We'll celebrate that. They want, you know, they want to help you tour the grounds and want to feed you. Well, you've also had a, a team that's worked on that project for about three months, a team of about four or five guys. They've worked faithfully. They've renovated all the way, all the way down to the studs, new insulation, plumbing, uh, you know, sheetrock, all that stuff. Anyway, come celebrate. Your presence tonight will mean the world to uh, Daniel and Sherry and to their faith family. So go home, get you a nap, watch golf, whatever you got to do. And then 5 o'clock, hey, we'll meet out there, Temple Baptist Church in Biloxi. Okay, come on. Welcome, everybody. I, I'm so glad to see you in the house I see some guests and got some family of ours on the front row. This is my baby brother-in-law on the uh, second row with, with his big sister. Anyway, thank you all for coming. 1 Timothy chapter 5 is our, is our text for today. Go ahead, get your Bibles. I want you to stand to your feet. Come on, everybody. Stand to your feet. I know you've been standing in worship. Wasn't that good? Man, that was good. Uh, y'all about brought the glory down at the end. All right, turn around, meet somebody, greet somebody, welcome them to the family. Come on, do that. Y'all, y'all, yeah, that's right. Change the temperature in the room. Yep, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> All right, hey, very, very good. That, that, make, that makes it feel a little warmer in the house. So welcome. I hope you met somebody new as you walked in. Anyway, glad you're here. Make yourself at home. 
Y'all look this way for a minute. Let me introduce the text for us. We have, throughout this summer, been really, really focused on building framework for the family that is going to help us be doctrinally sound and foundationally functional for generations to come. We have really just, you know, sunk our teeth into just rich, true, biblical, foundational doctrines throughout most of the summer, and last week, we switch gears as we progress through the letter and you know it's at the place really where the rubber meets the road where our theology begins to meet our practice so not just what we believe doctrinally you know sound theology but then how do we practice that as we live together in relationship as you know I talk about this as a blended family you have your mix and I have my mix and you know all the mix in the mix and it's got to be holy somehow some way you know doctrinal issues are not normally what causes the church trouble it's personalities and it's knowing how to relate to one another so we've got the doctrinal stuff down I mean salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and on that we stand alone right I mean so we've got those things and now we're we're talking about okay how do we live that out functionally? The language in chapter 5 is familial. It's, it speaks to us like fathers. Rebuke not an elder, an aged man, but entreat him as a father. The younger men, as brothers, my brother, we you know, challenge one another. As mothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. So we talk about those relationships and how that is lived out today we really look at the essence of the heart of a church. And that is how the church views itself and lends itself to uh, generosity, to, to living out a life that is blessing of those that are, let's just say, well, the text says widows, bereft left alone how does the church navigate where there's need in the church i want to give you a word just to put in your spirit and that word is generosity put that in your spirit let it settle there as we talk through this context but you know here's what we recognize god is a generous god he gave his son he gave us his spirit he gives us eternal life he gives us hope god is generous in all that he does the natural outflow of his people is to do the same we represent him well when we do verse 3 is our text honor widows who are really widows those that are widows indeed but if any widow has children or grandchildren your translation might say nephews the idea is extended family let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents for this is good and acceptable before God you can hey you can take that one to the bank there's a blessing in that text now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Among these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, here's a word for you, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever or an infidel. 
Don't let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. There is a, man, there is a mouthful of language in that text. We're going to learn a lot from that. But refuse younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips, busy bodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. And here is the summation of all that he speaks into this context about the church and how it relates to widows if any believing man or woman has widows let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it might relieve those who are widows indeed those who are truly widows father bless the reading of your word bless your people so encouraging to be in the assembly this morning and to welcome new friends to welcome some back that have uh, been on journey. God bless our time together as we learn. God teach us your heart. Maybe we just look into the black and white and we see the letters, but God bury that into our heart. Help us to have generous hearts that reflect well your son and his generosity toward us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you welcome uh, your neighbor into the house this morning, find your seat. I want to make some introductory remarks that just kind of draw us to this conversation of how we, how we deal with need in the church. Maybe that's a way that, that I can sum up what I want to say. This is a conversation, quite honestly, that I've never had as a pastor. I've never preached from this text as far as I know and, you know, walked through this kind of specific instruction as it has to do with those that may be marginalized in, in a given context. And so I'll just be honest with you. Hey, I've learned a lot. I've been challenged by a lot of what I've studied and read as it has to do with how we as a church family respond to those who have need. I think generosity is a great way to, to start, to know, first of all, that it's God's idea that his people are generous, that we are givers. I think a, a reproachful view of the church, you know, in generations past is that the church is a taker, that the church is, you know, a parasite in some ways, that the church takes from widows, church takes from, you know, the, the city or whatever. The reality is, is not further from the truth. The fact is, hey, God has blessed us to be givers. We are to be generous as we do life together and live in this city. We don't take from, we add value as the people of God. Not only do we share the gospel and speak life, but hey, we are generous in how we give and respond. Widows is the, is the word in the text. Honor widows who are widows indeed. So let's take some definition just to kind of get us started in the conversation, the, the Greek term is tomeo, and it literally means to, it means to respect, and it, it means to support. And so in the language 
of the text, there's this idea that the church provides for and supports those who have been widows indeed, those that have, you know, been bereft or left alone. In fact, hey, we'll talk about some further definitions as we go, but here is a, here's a summation statement that I read from John MacArthur. Listen how he, how he addressed this text. He says, the treatment of widows tests the spiritual character of the Christian community. Believers' devotion to Christ can be seen in how they treat those without resources. There again, it's reflective. If, if we are a tight-fisted, tight-wadded people that only expects to receive, then that is a poor reflection upon the God we serve. I mean, you know, hey, listen, there's, there's not been recipients of grace ever like we are. I mean, the goodness of, of God pours out upon us to honor. That is to value. That is to prize. That is to esteem. Literally, it is to affix a price. And that's going to matter in a minute as we look at how the widows are addressed. We're going to learn some things. Family first. Family ministry. Priority ministry. We're going to learn that God has a plan for younger widows. And God has a plan for older widows and how they function and thrive in the fellowship. What I want you to know and take away for sure is the reality that we're learning in this context that everybody has value. The older men have value. They have experience. They have wisdom. They have the ability to speak to the needs of younger men. Brothers have value. They challenge one another. There's energy for the work. Mothers, praise the Lord homemade coconut pies. I mean, listen, everybody add value, adds value. There's, hey, there is no doubt about the value that the widow brings to the family of God. Her contribution is, is so valuable that it's honored with support, monetary support, not welfare. This text is not about welfare. It's about service and reward. So there's three types of conversations that, that we'll have. All of it lends itself back to generosity. All of it lends itself back to this reality that everybody has value in the body of Christ. Everybody adds something. And widows are brought out. Isn't it good to know that God cares about the marginalized? I mean, listen, here's the reality. God chose to almost put a whole chapter specifically addressing those that in many cultures are left to, to pillage, left on the outskirts, left without, and yet God brings it to the forefront and says of his people, you treat these with, with honor and respect, and you take care of them. All right, everybody okay so far? We all good? So that's some introduction. Any among you, according to James, if any among you thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but, de but deceives himself, deceives his own heart, this one's religion is in vain. It's useless, pure and undefiled religion before God. And the Father is this, to visit the orphan, to visit the widow in their trouble. That is to not only drop by on occasion, but that is to visit, that is to see, and then that is to act with compassion, and then to keep oneself unspotted from the world. It's the very essence of, of who we are as a faith family. We are to 
take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. Here is just a word for you. The plight of the widow was possibly the most devastating predicament for one in an ancient culture. Jewish law made provision for widow in some ways, but widows still were largely marginalized. And I'm going to I want to show you a couple of examples just so that you understand the need, the context of, of the conversation. Widows, let's talk about them in the context of first century. I want to bring two different scenarios, two different encounters to your mind just to build context so you understand that a widow in the first century, largely a woman who has lost her husband and then who has lost sons has no sons in that culture she doesn't necessarily have the prerogative of going out and finding employment and making a living and sustaining herself she is destitute she is desolate she is at the mercy of those around her it's into that context that this letter is addressed I know it looks a little bit different for us but there's going to be Hey, some major takeaways. Listen to the language of Mark chapter 4, or 12 and verse 41. Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and he saw how people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich, they put in much. The one poor widow, I wonder why he chose that. It, it, was, a, it was a lesson that they couldn't miss. Poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant, half a cent. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that this poor widow is put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance. They have the ability to supply more. They have employment. They have, they have excess. But this widow is in a different situation. They've given out of their abundance, but she has given out of her poverty, and she's given all that she had, her whole livelihood. That's how the text reads. And so this widow is recognized by Christ as generous above all because she has given out of her desolation. Jesus describes her predicament. The widow of Nain is another great illustration to help us understand the plight of the widow in the first century context. Luke 7 and verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. That is Jesus. Many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. When he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. Did y'all catch that? The only son of his mother. It's a widow. She was a widow. Large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. The text says that Jesus is moved with compassion on this mother. Why? Because she's a widow, and because this is her only son, that means she's destitute. She's without husband, and she's without son to care for her. And so she is in a place where Jesus is moved to tell the coffin bearers, hold up. Hold up. And then he resurrects the son, restores the son to the mother, restoring livelihood and hope and posterity. How does the church minister to true widows? It's a question. 
That's the, that's the ultimate emphasis of what we're going to talk about. How does the church respond to those that are widows indeed, those who are bereft, those who are left alone? Shows a lot about the heart of a church and how they minister to those in need. I'll just say that this same question has been a- asked since the first century. Yeah. Acts chapter 6, the first real church dispute and debate is over care of the widows, yeah. the Grecians and the, the Jews, the Hebrew women. How, how are we going to minister to them? These are feeling neglected and these are not. It just goes to show even in the first century, there is already a system in place where there is care by the church for those that are widows. And it's so important that they take special counsel. They elect seven men filled with the Holy Spirit and good report and all that stuff to carry out the ministry. And the apostles carry on the work of preaching and praying. It's not a new question. So we answer it this way. Here's your first answer to the question. How do we minister in the 21st century to widows? We honor them. If you don't get anything else I say, let that word sink into your spirit. We respect them. We support them. We honor them. We esteem them as valuable, as necessary. And where we can, we distribute and we meet that, that need. Everybody got that? Say, I got it. So that's, that's a beginning point for us. We launch out from there. So gener- generosity, care, compassion, that's a, a mark that's indicative of people that know God and love Him. Into this text, though, there is very specific language that, you know, it, to be honest, it's blunt. It's kind of like my friend Bob. It's blunt. It's off the page. It's, it's right there. You, can, you, can't, you can't miss it. So here is what I don't want you to leave with. I don't want you to leave thinking that widows that are part of your family circle are the responsibility of the church. I mean, there, there is some, some pointed family ministry. And I'll, I'll already say this. Listen, ministry always begins at home. If we don't do it well there, we're definitely not going to do it well anywhere else. If, if I can't minister to my wife and my kids and my family and my parents, if I, you know, if we can't do that, then we have no ministry anywhere else. It begins there. As we manage the house God has blessed us to be part of, then we're able to minister elsewhere. Listen, some, 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 some of you, some of you mamas especially, you may think, hey, I haven't you know, done anything for the Lord. I had high aspirations of doing a lot for the kingdom of God and a lot for the Lord. Let me, let me just say again, you have no greater blessing honor, privilege, responsibility than to love your family, to raise your kids, to know the Lord. I mean, listen, if we get everything else wrong, but we do that right, then praise the Lord. We have continued the ministry of Christ for the next generation and the next generation. I mean, what our culture has missed is we have pushed the family to the, to the side. I mean, we suffer as a culture because we suffer as families. God's people are not to be so minister at home first. If you can't do that, then you, you have no context from which to minister to anybody else. Listen to, the, listen to the language of the text. Verse 4, verse 8, and verse 16. All speak to family 
ministry. Listen, verse 4. But if any widow has children, grandchildren, nephews, extended family, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. You see that? Repay their parents for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. In other words, this is good in the sight of God. And so, I mean, here's, here's the responsibility. First, to show piety at home. What does that mean? That is worship at home first. Piety is, is worship. It's tangible expressions of worship. We worship in the assembly. We raise our hands. We raise our voices. That's all good. But, but how hypocritical is it? If I'm a hellion and a godless man at home and won't lead my family and get in the assembly and raise my hands and lift my voice, and it's, it's vain. It's, it's useless. It's, it's the ultimate hypocrisy. And so we begin ministry at home, show piety at home. That's worship at home. And in so doing, you repay your parents in some, in some way. For the nine months, she carried you. Verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Even the pagans, knowing their own culture, how to take care of family. It's a poor reflection, and it's a shame if those of the household of faith don't do above that. Verse 16 is the conclusion, the summation of all he wants to say. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. Let them take care of them. And do not let the church be burdened that it might take care of or relieve those who are widows indeed. And so the first thing we learn from this text is family ministry is priority ministry. Minister at home first. If you never make it beyond that, Denise Shavers was here this morning. I watched her listen to the message and just weep. She's taking care of her mother at home, and it limits how she can, you know, how how she can go about her daily routine. And you know, she's altered her schedule, and you know, she can't do this, and you know, she's limited. And I watched God just kind of pour over her and refresh her soul because that's that's her ministry. I mean, she is paying a valuable honor to her mom who has loved her and brought her up, raised her up, and now she gets to repay. There's word there. There's worship. It re reflects the glory of God. His love for us as children is reciprocated to him as a faithful father. So family ministry is priority ministry. Do it well there. Do it well there. And then there are two different groups of widows that are addressed in the text. There are the younger widows that are given specific instruction, and there are the older women above 60 that are given specific instruction as well. So let's, let's learn their widows. Just because someone, how can I say this? Someone has need does not mean that it's necessarily the responsibility of the church to meet that need. Sometimes we can enable and hinder more than we can help. How do we know the difference? Wisdom. Consider the word of God. So not foolish generosity, wise generosity. The woman who is, who is young. Do not let a woman under 60 or widow under 60 years old be taken into the number 
not unless she's been the wife of one man, well reported. Verse 11, but refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. I want to maybe draw a picture for you uh, mentally, just the best way I know how, thinking about this, this context. It's, it's like this. Let's just, let's just take, for instance, that a woman is young and vib- vibrant. Maybe she's 30, maybe she's 40, maybe she's 50. I'm 50-something, and I still think 50 is pretty doggone vibrant. Come on. I mean, it's more vibrant every day. I don't know. Let's just say a woman who's 30 or 40 or 50, she loses her husband, and she has no son. She has no extended family. She has no one to take care of her, and so the church comes alongside for a season, and the church sees that she has need, and so they bring food, and they help her work out and navigate now the expenses that she has that she didn't know that she had and how to navigate through the documents that have to be handled. And so somebody from the church loves her enough to help her walk through that. And because of her gratitude of that, then she responds and makes a vow to God. And now she wants to commit the rest of her life just to serving the church and serving the Lord. And then her heart heals. The pain subsides. She can breathe again. She can move forward again, but she's made a vow to God. What does she do? She has a desire to marry. A young man comes into into view, and she desires to be married again. It's what she longs for, but she's made a vow to God. And so the instruction in the text is, don't do that. A woman under 60, don't do that. There's, There's a specific word for you, hey, when you when you can breathe again, when your heart heals again, when you can move forward again, then remarry. Warning of potential danger. Don't break a vow. Don't become idle. Don't ultimately become destructive. Instead, marry. Have children. Manage the home. Be productive. What's, what's the author saying? You might say, that's archaic. That's first century. This is 21st century. Let me just say, ultimately, we can bowl the text down, and, and we can say it like this. Live. Be productive. Find, find your place. Listen, God has a plan for you after your bereavement. God has a plan for you after your hurting and after your healing. If, if, if you're at that point in life, listen, I've, I've not been a widow. This is one of those texts that I really back up from because I hadn't lived it and as a pastor I've learned that if I haven't lived it it's really hard for me to speak into it and so I'm living a a lot through the lens of 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 my best friend watching him navigate and we sit around the table and you know I'll, I'll watch him just all of us all of a sudden weep why love love just It takes time to process that hurt, process that pain, be ready to breathe again, to take the next step forward and to to move again. I don't know what that feels like. Hope I never get to that place. And so I don't really speak from experience. But what I say is God still has a plan. God has a plan in in your pain. God God has a, a plan after your hurt, after your heartache. If here's a statement from Bob, here's what he said. 
if it happened to you, it happened for you. In other words, the same God that brought you to it will bring you through it, and he has a purpose in it. And you may say, Pastor, that, that, that doesn't sound great. Let me tell you something. I have lived long enough to know that there are situations and times and seasons that I never dreamed of, never wanted to go through, never, you know, never imagined for myself, and yet I found myself in those seasons walking through that hardness, walking through those valleys, and it's in those seasons where we learn the most about God. We learn about His faithfulness. We learned about His sustaining grace. We learn about His love for us in in the pain. For a young woman, process the pain. And then when it's time, live again. Be productive. Remarry. My, my grandmother had a saying for that. Weeping and peeping. Go, going, going to the funeral. Looking, look, 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 looking around for prospective suitors. Hey, that, that's, that's biblical. <laughs> if, if God brings you somebody, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And let the family celebrate with you. Marry. Manage the home. Be productive if it happened to you. It happened for you. Here is what comes to my mind when I think about that. Ruth married Boaz, who became the father of Obed, who was the father of David the king, upon whose throne reigns the king of kings, Jesus Christ. If you didn't get that, I'll say it again. Ruth, the Moabitess, desolate, lost her husband, lost her father-in-law, lost her brother-in-law, no seed. Naomi and Ruth made the pilgrimage from Moab back to Israel, the house of bread, where Ultimately, Ruth meets Boaz, and, and they fall in love, and Boaz then becomes the father of Obed, who is the father of David the king, and who is the father of, ultimately, Jesus the Christ through the lineage. God still had a purpose and plan, even through her bereavement. Older widows, this is a part of my study that surprised me the most. I wasn't necessarily um, expecting of what I learned. And yet there is very specific language for older widows and how the church reacts and responds to them. There is a term of enlistment. Listen, it says take them into number. Let me, let me give you some just some visual imagery about that. Don't let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. That literally is an enlistment. That is someone who is enlisted and put on a roll, put on a list. The, the imagery is that of a soldier who has enlisted in the army. And so these widows that qualify, they are enlisted in the ministry of the church. And their qualifications, they match that of the elder or the deacon. And some writers have pushed this text to refer to deaconess. I think that, you know, hey, we wrestle with that in the Baptist church, right? I mean, but li li listen, listen to this. Don't let a window, widow under 60 years old be taken into the number and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Well reported up for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet. 
she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Those qualifications speak of her character. They speak of her, her service in the life of the church. And they also speak of her resilience. She has invested and relieved those that have been in distress. She has watched, washed the saints' feet. That is you know, the act of humility where she is serving of others. In other words, this lady is providing a valuable service to the church that is it's worthy of support and recognition. These ladies are not um, marginalized in the community of the church where they are a burden. Rather, they are major resources for the church serving the community of believers. They're enlisted, they're qualified, they're employed. Honor widows who are really widows. Next week, I'm going to talk to you guys as a faith family about how you respond to the leadership, the elder of your church. Part of that discussion has to do with monetary support. And the word is honor. The elder, double honor. I'm going to talk about that some next week. It's the same word, same idea that is attached to that of the widow. Support. Monetary support. So the widow above 60 that is qualified, she's enlisted, she's qualified, she's employed. These widows served the church and were compensated for their labor. Honor widows who are widows indeed. I'm going to give you some takeaway. It's a lot of information. You've learned a lot because I learned a lot. But let's boil it down. Let's take away a few things. I gave you the one word, honor. Do that. We, we respect one another. That floods in every relationship. We honor one another. We, we honor those that are in a position of hardship and pain. A major takeaway from this passage is the necessity of respect for individuals in the body. Each has value. Each is important. Each makes necessary contributions. Care for one another is the mark of a healthy family. Love, respect, and honor characterize the expectation God has of the interaction of members in the family. Now I'll close with this thought. The widow and the orphan have a special place in the family of God. One of the things I learned in my study is this reality that God has a special eye for orphans and widows. I'll take you back to what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you another comforter. And so I don't know what that feels like or looks like in the life of an orphan or a widow. But what I do know is that God is, he has set aside specific care for those that are in that plight. And I know most of us have lived long enough to experience the goodness of God and the grace of God in times that are the hardest. Now look into this text. I, I see the most difficult of circumstances. Make no you know, it, it makes no sense from my perspective for a child to be without a father or a mother. It makes no sense for a husband to be bereft of his wife and, and to, to deal with that pain. I mean, you know, you look in, I look into that context and I, and I see hurt and I see pain. And then I read about God's compassion and his, his noticing and his working to be there. In the midst of the pain. And then to be the author and the orchestrator 
of the healing. The widow and the orphan have a special place in the family of God. Psalm 68, verse 5, a fatherless or a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Hey, God is on the move. Psalm 68, 5. Psalm 146 and verse 9, the Lord watches over strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. We, we learn a lot about how to deal with family in this short context. Let it be said of us that there's generosity among God's people. Let it be said of us that there is honor and respect and support among the family. It reflects well our generous God. It reflects well to those that are watching from the outside. Tangible expressions of love. Let us stand together. Come on, everybody. Stand to your feet. Here is the way we'll close this morning. We have uh, praised the Lord together in song. We have sat around and absorbed God's word, been challenged about how we interact with one another. Now we respond. We're going to sing together, but we're going to pray together. We're going to open our hearts to respond to God as, as he directs. Maybe you're in the house today and hey, maybe there's a need. Maybe you're trying to supply a need. Need some help. Need somebody to pray with you. Need somebody to reach out to. You need a lifeline. Then you came to the right place today. Maybe you're in the house and it's a spiritual need you have. You need to be saved. I hadn't necessarily preached to you the gospel, but I have shown you the generosity of God. He cares. He cares. In every season, every circumstance, every situation. Not only does He see, but sometimes it's those seasons where we look to Him. Hey, if you need to be saved today, you can be. I'll help you with that. Here's my heart for you. Just respond. Do as God prompts you, whatever that looks like. I'm going to pray for us. Jeremy's going to lead us in some song. Just worship. Take these next few minutes. Open your heart to the Lord and, and worship. Father, bless your people. Sure has been good to be in your house today, to be surrounded by brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and every person unique in their own place and own contribution and all of that, all for the glory of Christ. Because you love, we love. Because you gave, we give. Because we have been just blessed recipients of grace. God, we let that flow from us today. Bless your people. Save some. God, stir hearts for your glory. In Christ's name. Amen.